It has stood the test of time. God's book, the Bible, still relevant in today's complex world. It is written, sharing messages of hope around the world. It was late in the 8th century BC. Judah was enjoying the reign of one of their two greatest kings. King Hezekiah had built the empire up to the greatest prosperity it had known since the time of David and Solomon. They had averted the destruction that their counterparts in Israel had experienced. And although the Assyrians had come to take Jerusalem, God provided their deliverance. Much of this can be attributed to the tremendous amount of religious reform that had taken place in Judah. But in approximately 712 BC, Hezekiah was very ill and he received a visit from the prophet Isaiah. Isaiah gave him the kind of news you really don't want to hear. Isaiah told him that it was time to set his house in order because he was about to die. Hezekiah was very troubled, as any of us would have been. And then he prayed. He prayed that God would deliver him and allow him to live. God heard this prayer and granted him 15 more years of life. Two significant events happened in that additional 15 years that Hezekiah had been granted. One of them is significant to our study today. The other is not so much, but an interesting note. That first event was the visit of the Babylonian delegation. Hezekiah welcomed this delegation and showed them all of the items in the palace in the house of God. Those Babylonians would never forget this, and they would wait about a hundred years before they would come and take it all in the time of, of Daniel. Now the second event was the birth of his son, Manasseh. The story of Manasseh can be found in 2 Kings 21 and in 2 Chronicles chapter 33. Now the Bible reports nothing of Manasseh's early childhood, but at the age of 12, he ascended to the throne to be the king of Judah. Manasseh did not follow in the footsteps of his father, however, and he was evil in his heart. The Bible reports that Manasseh was more evil than any of the other kings of Israel. He began by erecting altars and worship places for the Canaanite sun god Baal. He wasn't satisfied with that, so he erected what the King James Version calls a grove. Now, this word in Hebrew is actually the word Asherah. Asherah was the formal name of the sensual fertility goddess Astarte, who was the counterpart to the Assyrian fertility god Ishtar. But places of worship for Asherah were literally groves that had been set up and each of the trees in this grove would be cut and trimmed to make some image or some semblance of a god. And these groves would be the home to worship and festivals and various sacrifices. Manasseh erected many altars to the various gods in the temple of God in Israel. Manasseh was so corrupted, in fact, 
and so evil that he sacrificed his own baby son and had him burned alive. This was the demand of the God of the Ammonites, Molech, who was called the purifying God. Now, traditional Jewish history records that it was Manasseh who killed the prophet Isaiah. Manasseh had him placed in a hollowed out stump of a tree and then had that stump sawed in half. Manasseh was evil personified. Anyone who tried to remain faithful was in danger of strong persecution from this evil king. And you know, oddly enough, Manasseh reigned 55 years, longer than any other king of Israel. Manasseh was a servant to the Assyrian Empire. And apparently in the closing years of his reign, Manasseh became defiant against the Assyrians. The Assyrians, who have been recognized by many as the most brutal empire in history, they didn't take too kindly to Manasseh's rebellion. So they came and defeated him. In 2 Chronicles 33:11, the Bible records that they took Manasseh away in thorns and fetters. Now, it is believed that the Assyrians, to assure that no prisoner would escape, would take large thorns and pierce the nose of every prisoner. Along with that, they would put a thorn through the lips and another through the ears, and then these thorns would be tied to their chained hands and feet. And so Manasseh had been defeated. The story in 2 Kings 21 doesn't record Manasseh's captivity in Assyria, but 2 Chronicles 33 does. While Manasseh sat in captivity, bruised from his punishment, I'm sure he began to think on the matters that he had been taught as a boy. And then he sought out God and prayed. And verse 12 of 2 Chronicles 33 tells us exactly what Manasseh said. The Bible says that he humbled himself greatly before the Lord. The word humble in the Hebrew is the word kana, and it literally means to be brought into subjection. The Bible doesn't tell us how, but Manasseh humbled himself and submitted to God. He thought that he was living life to its fullest, but it was all folly. The Bible says that God heard him. In fact, the New International Version says that God was moved by the prayer of Manasseh. And God moved the Assyrians to take the unprecedented move of releasing Manasseh to return to his home to rule his nation. And 2 Chronicles 33, 14 to 16 tells us what happened after. After this, he built a wall outside the city of David on the west side of Gihon in the valley, as far as the entrance of the fish gate. And it enclosed the offal. And he raised it to a very great height. Then he put military captains in all the fortified cities of Judah. He took away the foreign gods and the idol from the house of the Lord and all the altars that he had built in the mount of the house of the Lord and in Jerusalem. And he cast them out of the city. He also repaired the altar of the Lord, sacrificed peace offerings and thank offerings on it and commanded Judah 
to serve the Lord God of Israel. Friends, what an amazing turnaround. He went from the most evil king in all of Israel to a man who built the outer wall of the city. He put commanders in the fortified cities. He took away the foreign gods and the idols that were in the house of the Lord. He took away the altars on the mountain of the house of God and he threw them out of the city. And then he restored and repaired the altar of the Lord. And he restored the sacrifices to the true God of Israel. The obvious question is, what does this have to do with living life to its fullest? Well, friends, it demonstrates the principle that there are a great deal of things that are available to each of us today, each one with the promise of the good life. But none of these things can lead us to a life in its fullest. In fact, in the New Testament, in 1 John chapter 2, verses 15 to 17, it warns us about these things that promise a full life. 1 John 2, 15 to 17. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, is not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world is passing away, and the lust of it, but he who does the will of God abides forever. The word world in this text is used metaphorically to speak of all things that are a part of the planet on which we now live. Those things which are unholy and bring defilement it is an interesting contrast. This same John wrote in John 3:16 that God so loved the world. This contrast is underlined by the following phrase, the things of the world. Here is that contrast. God loves the world, but not the things of the world. He loves the created beings of this world, but he does not love the things of the world. God does not love the material lust and sin of this world, but he loves people and he desires that they would have a life to the fullest. Now the text goes as far as saying that the love of the Father is not in those who love the world. The word love is the same in both instances. It is the Greek word agapao. This word for love is an unconditional, intimate love. The text really asks the question of loyalty. Where is your unconditional love? Is it with the things of the world, the material things, or is your love with our Father in heaven? God wants our full commitment, not a partial commitment, not some half-hearted service. He wants all of us. But then as John continues in verse 16, he gets right to the heart of the matter. And he says this, for all that is in the world, the desire of the flesh, the desire of the eyes, the pride and riches comes not from the father, but from the world. We must not be confused by what we have read. God did not create an evil world, but rather man has made it evil through his practice of sin. And so God poignantly identifies the three practices that are in the world that we should not love. Friends, John strikes right at the root of the issue for each of us. 
You know, we often treat symptoms, but we never get to the root of the problem. Usually it's not just about the behavior. Manasseh didn't do evil things just for the sake of doing evil. He did it because he had a problem in his heart and he had a problem in his mind. The behavior was only a manifestation of what was going on in the inside. And the same can be said of us. But that is not to mean that we don't need to act right. What it means is we must get to the root. Living life to the fullest takes a heart and mind transformation. And that is why John gets to that matter and the heart of that matter in John, 1 John 2.16. The desire of the eyes, the desire of the flesh, and the pride of life. All of our behavior can be attributed to the heart and mind and they fall into those three categories. The word desire or lust can be translated craving. It is a lust or taste for the flesh. And what does John mean here? He used the word sarks in the Greek, which is literally to describe your flesh and your bones. But it can also be used to denote the natural desires that we have as sinful human beings to do that which is apart from the word or will of God the taste of doing things that are contrary to God's word. And so John categorizes a second sin, the desire of the eyes or the lust of the eyes. Again, this is the lust or cravings of the eyes. Now our eyes in and of themselves are not sinful. However, they can be used as an entry point for sinful desire to be introduced to the mind. My friends, our eyes are windows into the soul, the very core of who we are. It is the eyes that lead most directly and quickly from external observation to evil thoughts in the mind and the heart. All of these temptations of the world focus on enjoyment in the present without any consideration or understanding for the future ramifications. John is emphatically pointing out that an action must always be compared with the worth of eternal things and then factored into life decisions. Lastly, John points out another important category of sin to avoid, the pride of life. It is the idea of boasting in what man has and what he does. It is the pride that results from worldly possessions. It leads to the glorification of ourselves and leaves God out of the equation. My dear friends, we must get to the very heart of the matter. We are missing out on life to its fullest. The things offered by the entertainment industry, they merely leave us empty. The real question is, have we fully surrendered ourselves to the life-giving power and presence of Jesus Christ? Then and only then will we experience life to the fullest. Acts 4.12 tells us there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. My friends, our actions and behavior is a hard issue. Missing out on the abundant life that Jesus promises is an issue of what our heart is attached to. Do you have a problem with tobacco? Then go to God and ask him for a heart and mind transformation. Do you have a problem eating too much? Seek God and ask him to transform you. 
Do you have a problem watching movies and TV that is not good? Then go to God. Do you have a problem reading things you shouldn't? Go to God and He'll release you. God is calling us to live life to its fullest. God doesn't call you to be more holy than the person sitting next to you. No, He calls upon you to always keep your eyes on Him. You are to aim high, look to Him, the author and finisher of our, of our faith. Manasseh transformed Judah because he was transformed by God. He did not look to the examples of his neighbors to see how much reform they needed. No, he looked to the Word of God and he fully submitted himself to Jesus. Friends, God is inviting us to an abundant life, life to its fullest. Verse 17 of 1 John 2 says this, And the world and its desire are passing away, but those who do the will of God live forever. Friends, God does not love the evil, sinful system of this world, and He cannot save those who do. He's setting up a new kingdom. He is preparing a mansion and a place where righteousness and perfection reign, but only the righteous will enjoy it. Do you want to be in that place? Do you today want to say, I do not love the world or the things of this world, and today, just like Manasseh did 3,000 years ago, I want to tear down the idols that have taken me off the path. Friends, it is a journey, a journey that should draw us nearer and nearer to Him. The devil will put obstacles, plenty of them, in the path that leads to Jesus because he doesn't want us to experience the abundant life. Don't you think it makes sense that we not put obstacles there ourselves? We must remove those things that will keep us from him. He's calling upon you right now. He invites you to his presence. And there, and only there, will you find life to its fullest.
Heavenly Father, we know that it is in the presence of Jesus that we find life to its fullest. Help us to make a decision to be in his presence always. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. We've been focusing on the New START acronym, and today we're looking at T for temperance. Temperance is kind of an old-fashioned word for a newfangled notion called balance. Do you have balance in your life? We need balance in all things, eating, sleeping, working, playing, exercising, even in the way we love ourselves and others. As humans, we often think that if something is good for us, we should do it all the time or eat it all the time. The key is this, not everything in moderation because not everything is good for us, but rather all good things in moderation. 
When we talk about nutrition and temperance, we want to be sure we're eating just enough of the good foods that will enhance our health. So for adults, when it comes to eating well, we're talking seven to 10 servings of vegetables and fruits daily, six to eight servings of grain products, two to three servings of milk or milk alternative products, and two to three servings of meat alternative products. When we overeat, we sabotage our health by putting on more weight and increasing our risk for various diseases. Also, when we don't eat enough, we put our bodies at risk. So balance is essential when it comes to eating well within a healthy lifestyle. The same goes for exercise. We can cause injury to our bodies when we are excessive in our exercise habits. However, if we take the couch potato route and don't exercise, do you know it's just as bad as smoking a pack of cigarettes a day? Incredible, isn't it? Too much sunshine can bring on disease. Too little can bring on disease. Too much sleep can make us groggy. Too little can impair our immune system. Everything in life requires balance, temperance. 2 Peter 1 verse 6 advises us, and to knowledge temperance, and to temperance patience, and to patience godliness. When we are knowledgeable about healthy living, we can make those wise choices that bring balance into our lives. If you want additional information on healthy living, visit itiswrittencanada.ca and you'll find links to lots of great resources. I'll see you next time. Friends, Jesus desires that we would have an abundant life, life to its fullest. I'd like to offer you the DVD set of this entire series that you might have it as a resource to find a life to its fullest. Here's the information you need for today's offer. To request today's offer, just log on to www.itiswrittencanada.ca. That's www.itiswrittencanada.ca and select the TV program tab. For Canadian viewers, the offer will be sent free and postage paid. For viewers outside of Canada, shipping charges will apply. If you prefer, you may call toll-free at 1-888-CALL-IIW. That's 1-888-CALL-IIW. Call anytime. Lines are open 24 hours daily. That's 1-888-CALL-IIW. Or if you wish, you may write to us at It Is Written, Box 2010, Oshawa, Ontario, L1H 7V4. And thank you for your prayer requests and your generous financial support. That's It Is Written, Box 2010, Oshawa, Ontario, L1H 7V4. It is in the presence of Jesus that we find a life to its fullest. And that's what God's desire is, that you would have an abundant life. The Bible promises he would not withhold any good thing from you. I hope that this show today has been a blessing to you. I encourage you to watch again next week. Until then, remember, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Thank you.